Hello and welcome to the Word and Wellbeing, Meridian Wellbeing's fortnightly podcast where we discuss everything going on in the world of mental health, current affairs, Barnet, life, the universe and everything in between. Um, today we have a fantastic guest, uh, Councillor Alex Prager. Hello Alex. Hi Chris, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome, thank you for joining us this morning. I don't know about you but I've got my cup of coffee ready, it's been one of those mornings. I've already had mine. <laughs> a man who comes prepared, I like it, I like it. So uh, you are a, uh, a, a councillor in the London Borough of Barnet. Um, tell us a bit about that. What, what, what do you do as a councillor? Um, that's a great question. So um, I've been a councillor now since 2018, um, so about two and a half plus years. And it's really a mixed bag. So we do so much from casework to committee work. So as, as a representative of the West End and Ward, um, there are about 8,000 voters in, in West Hendon and they can come to me or my two other ward colleagues for any of um, anything that they have issues with regarding the council so it could be anything from their bins weren't collected to a question about their planning application to um, they live in a council home and are about to get evicted and need help um, liaising with the council so that's 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 the casework and um, it's a really diverse um group of things because the, the issues change literally every single day with what with what people are contacting me about um and the other side is is i guess scrutinizing the council so i i sit on a few committees the audit committee i'm the vice chair of the audit committee i sit on the housing and growth committee the financial performances and contract committee and we review what the council's doing and scrutinize them from that from that side of things so i, I should probably sort of just uh dig into that a bit so uh, just just for our listeners, so uh, you're actually a member of the the, the Conservative Party, which is the controlling <laughs> uh, party of of the uh, of the council at the moment. So um, so how does how does that work? So how does it work having being a member of the party that's both in c- control of the council and also you're acting to scrutinise it? How how do you find that balance? So it's, that's quite straightforward. So essentially, that there are 63 councillors in in Barnet. The the borough is split into three constituencies and each one has seven wards at the moment, which each have three councillors representing them. So there are 63 councillors altogether. Uh, as you said, Chris, the uh, the Conservative administration is, is the majority at the moment with, I think, 36, 37 councillors. And the role is to scrutinise what the council officers are doing. So as as the administration, we set the uh, the agenda and with what we want the council to be doing is the council officers the, the people who work for Barnet Council full-time to go ahead and do that work and we are then well one of the roles for example in the audit committee is to is to scrutinize how that work is getting done and and if it's if it is um doing exactly what what it should be doing oh, that's great so audit would be sort of is that sort of things like finance and things like that yes yeah, so I'm a chartered accountant by day um my day my day job i work for a financial technology company in their finance department and i was an auditor back in the day so so it works quite well to sit on the audit committee um yeah so so any large business has to have an audit every year which is a review of their financial statements and and to make sure there are no errors there's no um fraud things like that which is touched on a little bit in the audit and so the audit committee reviews the finance finance function in the council and alongside alongside a few other things well that's fantastic so then if we sort of um you know so thinking about the borough over the last year so has have things changed with covid how your work both as a kind of 
uh, uh, councillor to your residence and also as a you know sitting as a member of the administration and on the on your committees ha- has your work changed over the last year with covid and the lockdowns i'd say it's changed almost exponentially the council has responded incredibly to covid so many new challenges were created and they've adapted so well to it so as with many businesses from one day to the next pretty much uh, council officers went to work remotely um and they've had to adapt to the the challenges that that brings alongside huge funding that's been going on to local businesses and um and and dealing with different processes and and things have had to change so much you know from enforcement of of covid rules to a changing enforcement system because if things were deemed not essential then they couldn't then they they couldn't necessarily be out and about um the council has 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 done a really stellar job i in my mind um to responding to covid we've they've been so busy so from a personal perspective after after COVID start off the pandemic began, I initiated a grassroots activity to link local volunteers with Barnet residents who were shielding. And after I started that, I, I sat as a representative on the Barnet Community Response Fund, as well as the Community and Faith Steering Group. And the aim of those were to assist as many residents as possible. So there have been so many of these grassroots organisations that have either been set up or have, been, or have grown in order to take on the challenges that have been going on. So the Young Barnet Foundation was uh, instrumental in setting up that Community Response Fund. And its aim is to support food banks and organizations that have expanded their services or have been set up due to COVID. Um, and so far, we've distributed almost £120,000 to local charities to help our residents, which, which has just been an incredible thing. There's, there's um, yeah, I used to hold a monthly surgery in the West End of the state. But as soon as COVID, as soon as the COVID pandemic started, obviously, I couldn't do that face to face. So had to transition to zoom surgeries uh I, I set up a whatsapp group quite soon after that just i just went through my phone and any any, any resident any west end resident that i had in my phone i just added them to this whatsapp broadcast list and i just disseminated information tried to get out you know every every time we changed tiers and the rules changed and people were really confused about what was going on and what needed and what they were and were not allowed to do so I, that was just a new medium a new way of, of getting out information and then more recently, the health champions have started up also to disseminate data throughout different communities. And it's been a really incredible um, experience and just, you know, really seen so many different people from different parts of Barnet because Barnet is really diverse and that we have a lot of communities throughout the borough and using social media and other channels to try and get out as much information as possible to stop any fake news, anything mm. anti-vaxxer information and just try and get the message out about what what people should be doing, how they should be doing it, and um, in as efficient a way as possible. It's been really, it's been really great. I mean, that sounds, you know, that sounds amazing. You know, the kind of work of you know bringing together all those organisations and using that kind of uh political oomph uh, to kind of you know to kind of uh, kind of reach across the aisle break down some barriers and c- bring communities together i think is fantastic and i think it's such an important time given everything where we need to be working together and that's so that's really great to hear and it's you know it's such a sort of great reflection of your own i guess your own values that you that you've been doing things like that so that, that's fantastic um and i think certainly sort of 
it has been it has been amazing how many organizations and individuals have stepped up to 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 support so many communities across the uk and certainly you know on the the last point you touched on about the importance now of kind of getting the information out about things like the vaccination it's it's been something that you know we at road and wellbeing have been very passionate about because it is so important because you know when you are you know, I think we're all aware and we've all seen bits of stuff on social media or had it shared with us from members of our family on WhatsApp or whatever and all these sort of bits and pieces about COVID and everything else. And it doesn't take much for that to kind of, you know, to just run. Uh, and that can be very dangerous, particularly when you're in communities which are already being uh, disproportionately impacted by COVID and everything else. So it's really great mm. to hear about that. Um, certainly sort of, um, you know, things like, you know, the kind of anti-vaxxer myths and kind of misconceptions that, that, that have kind of taken root slightly um, in, and have kind of proliferated on social media are very, very dangerous. Um, and it's, it's great to hear about, you know, your work there sort of helping to kind of counter that because vaccinations are so important. Do you know sort of uh, how, how, as far as the, the borough, my understanding is that uh, Barnet has a sort of, uh, has a disproportionately older population compared to other boroughs within London. So uh, how, do you know anything about sort of how, how the vaccination is going, how, how it's been rolled out? Is it been quite successful so far? I, I think, I think the vaccination rollout has been successful in Barnet so far. Um, I think we've had quite a high uptake um, there are some communities whereby uptake has been less than um, what we would have hoped, but I think that's quite normal considering exactly what you've just mentioned. And we really are working hard and the, the health champions as a group have, have done a really good job as well of trying to get out the right messages um, to try and encourage more and more people to take up the vaccine that, that maybe are passing it up. And, that, and that's so important. I mean, I should say we we are actually a health champion ourselves. We're part okay. of part of that. So uh, again, it's you know it's great to have that kind of source for that really kind of you know the key messages and you know the um, the sort of Barnet Health Champion Group does great work kind of getting that information out. And that's and it's so important. Again, it's that community coming together to support each other, um, particularly at a time where clearly there are there are issues you know getting getting that information out and countering the kind of misconceptions and myths going on uh, and i know you know the, the nhs has been doing uh, along with other kind of local association and government have been doing some great work trying to reach out to you know particular communities where there hasn't been that uptake of vaccinations and there has been that kind of disproportionate effect and it is great to see and part of that's come from having those those kind of conversations with those community leaders and grassroots organizations which is so key uh, it, 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 it's the sort of thing that i know we all, we all kind of if, if you've got if you've ever sort of worked in a sort of policy area and things like that it's so often policy and legislation can have be slightly distant from the person on the street and i do hope going forward we think uh, you know we bring in we're more inclusive uh, i know it's something that barnet enfield and harringay nhs trust are very keen on having that kind of that that public voice um, right. in in the kind of policy setting you know because that's that's where you get to test those ideas and that's when you get that kind of insight that otherwise you might not get um so it's really great to see uh, again sort of you know government uh, organizations and, and the members of the public coming together to support our community so that, that's that's fantastic <coughs> sorry <laughs> um one thing i i uh, well a few a few things uh, that, that i 
thought were quite interesting from 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 your from your background doing a bit of research so uh in, in, and i don't mean that in a sinister way um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so um one of the things I, I thought was quite interesting it'd be interesting to kind of expand on it is so you're the council's uh, small business business champion obviously small businesses particularly kind of in retail and hospitality have been um, massively massively hit over the mm. last year correct so yeah. so what does you know barnett's got some great shops i know a great um businesses uh, you know we do some work with some of them you know and what does that look you know what does sort of the post-covid era look like how do we kind of get get those businesses going uh how do we kind of support those uh, those um individuals sure so i, th- I think there's three periods to look at the pre-covid covid and post-covid um periods barnet uh, yeah as, as you mentioned i'm the small business champion for for the borough barnet is really unique we have around twenty-two thousand small businesses in, in barnet that's the, we have the highest proportion of micro businesses in london that's a, a micro business is a, a business between one and four employees and it's my responsibility to raise their profile in the council and see how we can support them as much as possible. Because as you're aware, you know, small businesses are, are the backbone of our economy and we need to support them as, as much as we can. Um, Barnet has some incredible schemes and um, initiatives to support businesses. So there's the pop-up business school, which I was invited to speak at a couple of times as in my role. Um, there's, the, there's the Discover Barnet campaign, which was pushing for things like the Small Business Saturday and, and encouraging people to, to shop locally and use local businesses as much as possible. Uh, we're currently promoting their Entrepreneurial Barnet um, initiative, which is to find you know, local residents who have business ideas, startup ideas that they want to get off the ground. And, and the best idea receives uh, a prize of £15,000, I think it is, to, to help set up their business. So we, we're trying to do a lot of work to encourage local businesses to thrive. Throughout COVID, exactly as you said, the retail environment is so challenging. It's been hit so hard. Um, and again, I think the council's done a great job, job to try and roll with the punches and see what we can do, adapt um, to, these, to these changing demands. So we had some restaurants that were obviously really badly hit and they were requesting some outdoor dining during during the period where people were allowed to eat outdoors but not indoors and so we trialed an initiative over uh, along some pavements where the um, some parking bays were turned into seated dining area to, to again to try and support those local businesses and one, what, what we've done incredibly is we've supported thousands of businesses in the borough. Over the past year, we've, we've distributed over £75 million pounds, um, to local businesses. The majority of that, I think about £63 million of that, was for small business grants and retail hospitality and leisure grants to businesses that have been hit the hardest. Um, just in the six months from, from March, September 2020, we, we distributed over £3 million pounds of discretionary grants, um, local covid alert level grants uh, I'd say I think almost nine million pounds was was distributed for that and we so we, we've done as much as we possibly can and we continue doing and the, the council is working really hard to support these businesses one one thing I'm a big advocate for is to shop locally support the local businesses and some, that's something the Discover Barnet campaign has been doing so post-covid uh, yeah, I'm already thinking of initiatives we can do to try and support um, our, our local organizations and, and one of them is uh, one idea we've come up with is a business directory website so I'd like to trial that in West Hendon and if it succeeds to roll it out across the borough and essentially the idea would be to showcase all of all of the borough's hidden businesses 
and to boost the profile of these local businesses. So, um, you know, you walk down the high street and you can see the shops and the restaurants, etc. But you might not. What, what I could, what I mean by hidden business is an accountancy firm, a law firm, a carpenter who may be they, they they may be occupying an upstairs office on top of the shops, or, or they're not necessarily as over as the retail market. And I think people would like to shop locally or support their local businesses, but it's about letting them know about what's there. So, you know, in my, what I'd like to see with this business directory is a website where, you know, you can put in your postcode, you can put in what you're looking for. And it's simply just, a, it's just a grid that shows like a, a spreadsheet essentially that, that shows what businesses are in your area and what they do. And like I said, I'm, I'm, we're in very early stages at the moment, but becoming a bit of a pet project of mine and I'm trying to get that off the ground. And if we can do that, as I said, in West Hendon, that'll be the proof of concept. If that works, we can, we can spread it across the borough and it'll be an incredible resource for, for residents to, to, to be able to support local businesses and also for the businesses themselves to, to try and help them out as much as possible. It's, as, as you said, it's, it's going to be a very strange environment post-COVID. So to, these are the businesses that need our support more than ever. And we need to be encouraging people to support them. I, I completely agree. And I think that's a, I think the directory is a fantastic idea. I've seen sort of analogous projects rolled out in other areas outside of London, I should say. But um, I, and I think it's a great, great way because so often, as you said, you know, those kind of hidden businesses, uh, people working in their homes or working in offices that aren't necessarily kind of accessible to the public, people don't know. And I think particularly so often we still have that kind of you know, where we want advice, we will speak to someone we know, oh, I need a plumber or I need something like that. And we'll kind of Google it and things like that. And having like a clear and accessible way to kind of go, oh, well, I need this. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, I don't want to say sort of reinventing the yellow pages. But I, I, <laughs> it works. It works, though. Yeah. It, it, it works. And I think that's a really great way of not only showing off what's going on, the businesses around, but also it's encouraging people to engage with businesses locally rather yep. than kind of going, oh, I need a, you know, I need a baker. So I'm going to go to Gloucester or something. I don't know. But, you know, it's, a, oh, there's a baker up the road. I didn't know about that. I, I think that's a really great idea. And it's something I'm, I, I can, I'm very passionate about as well. You know, I, I don't have any problem with kind of, you know, big chains and, you know, things like that. But at the same time, I want to support that. And I think this is a opportunity. Uh, and I don't mean that, you know, everything that's happened has been horrendous and it truly has. It is an opportunity for local people, again, to take hold of their communities yeah. and build them back, build back better, <laughs> where, um, you know, all those kind of nice shops and pubs and restaurants and things that people so often, they'll say, oh, I love living here because of this and that and that. Uh, but then there's sort of a question mark on how often do you use that greengrocers or how often do you use that butchers? And yes, they might be a bit more expensive, but you're getting you're getting something slightly different. But said, not that, you know, obviously other shops are available. I should say. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. I, I think exactly, you've hit the nail on the head. I think people like having the businesses local, but we need to encourage people to, to shop locally because, you know, as, as we said, these businesses have been hit so hard and it's been a difficult market for retail for 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 quite a few years now and this has obviously not helped yeah i think you're completely right there it's something which to be fair taking party politics out of it i think the government has done a lot to try and support businesses yes there could have been things that could have done slightly differently or yeah. i do think the fact that we've gone from a not even a running start literally from almost kind of it's not quite standstill but and we've rolled out a vaccine to half you know half the uk's population in a couple of months i mean that's amazing it's, you know it, it's really incredible look we're, we're number three in the world per capita yeah. of, of vaccines we've we've uh, vac- we've given 
40, I think 40 doses per 100 people, whereas, you know, look at the EU in general, we're talking about between nine and 12 per 100 people. So we're, we're, we're leagues ahead of, of most of the world with, with our vaccine program, and, and it's incredible. So if we, uh, you know, if we sort of take a, a slightly different look at things, so we have seen, you know, a fa- I, I think it is, I think it is a, a fantastic rollout of the vaccine um, over the last couple of months. Um, we are seeing issues within certain communities for various reasons. Um, you know, some come, some going, you know, going back to kind of historic inequalities and things like that. So yep. within Barnet, if we look at communities within, you know, BAME communities, for example, how best can the council support um, people from and individuals from uh, the BME communities as far as both the vaccine rollout and obviously dealing with some of those inequalities? So specifically in regards to the vaccine rollout, at that the health champions aim was to do exactly that and is to do exactly this to let people know about the raw data and to to make people aware about the untruths that are being circulated mm. um i think when it comes down to communities i i think the best the best course of action the best route is to engage with the community leaders whether that's religious or cultural so um, communal leaders and if they're on board then we're in a very good position for them to be disseminating that information, for them to be letting their communities, their groups know and encourage them. And when it comes from within, that, that's the only real way I think that that we can change people's beliefs or views. So they don't want to be told, especially I think, as, as you mentioned with uh, BAME communities, that they don't necessarily want to be told by the authority or by someone external what they should think or what, should, what they should do. But if it comes from within and then... We, we stand a much better chance of increasing the vaccine rollout. And as I said, that, that was the idea of the Health Champion group to, to have representation from all different communities, from all different religious groups, from all different uh, parts of the borough, geographic as well, to encourage their networks. And once that spreads, we can we can cover as many people as possible because it affects us all on a macro and a micro level. So, so on a communal level, it affects all of us if people are choosing not to get vaccinated. And on a macro level, um, you know, in terms of like the global rollout of the vaccine, it doesn't really help unless the whole world is being vaccinated against it. No, of course. So what about then, what about in the situation of, because, you know, the statistics have shown that individuals from BME communities have been disproportionately affected by the virus. How do we, and, and I'm, not, I'm not going into a kind of, the, you know, the, 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 there are historic reasons and there are a variety yeah. of reasons for that, I'm sure. But how can the council then, or what is the council doing to support those communities to try and overcome some of those barriers? I think at the beginning of the at the beginning of the pandemic, at least the, the communities were disproportionately affected. So I'm Jewish myself, and I know the Jewish community was highly, you know, above average was was impacted by that. And I, and I think part of the reason is naturally, as a community, you're more engaged with other people in the area, and there's that physical connection to to other to, to neighbours and to mm. whether it's whether it's by going to synagogue or to or to a local club or whatever it is, and. I think that's what helped cause uh, more widespread or spreading of the virus, which which I think has been more or less dealt with. I'm not sure if today we're still seeing a disproportionate number of BAME uh, communities being being getting getting the virus today mm. more so than let's say the national average. I, I, I don't know if that's the case, but again, it's it's all about information, getting the information across, and you know the council's done that by by translating mm. um, their. Um, the information to, into different languages and putting up posters in certain areas, targeting 
that there have been targeted campaigns. So, so again, uh, I've seen it during over, over Jewish festivals, there have been targeted campaigns by the council and, and by the national government, you know, reminding people that there is a festival coming up, you still have to remain vigilant and you still have to mm. be careful. The rules obviously still apply, etc. Um, and I think they've been doing that across different communities as well. I, I think that's a very good idea. I think it's very sensible, you know, certainly. I actually had a bit of a look at your, your, your. I think I follow you on Twitter. So, and of course I would thoroughly recommend following uh, Councillor Alex Prager on uh, Twitter, if you so wish. Thanks um, for the shout out. <laughs> other Twitter profiles are available. Um, but uh, I, I've seen some of the posts you mentioned about looking at, you know, particularly speaking to the Jewish communities around certain holidays and things like that. And I, and I think that you're right, that, that having those kind of double prong of having those community leaders, having those, those conversations. So there is that internal kind of voice. And there's also having that external voice where it's specifically speaking to these groups and it's engaging with them on something which, which is clear. It's showing that kind of respect, which I, I think is so important. Um, so that, that, you know, that's, that, that is really great to hear. And it's something which just to sort of expand on this topic slightly, one of the things that, uh, one of the campaigns that we as, as a charity who uh, predominantly uh, we support about 60% of the individuals that we support, and we support about 10,000 people a year are from BAME communities and having kind of historic links with the Chinese and East Southeast Asian communities. One of the things that we've been doing is uh, campaigning on the rise in uh, in hate crime and racism against Chinese and East out and Southeast Asians. And right. it, it really has increased. Unfortunately, hate crimes across all protected characteristics have dramatically increased over the last year. And I'm sure, uh, unfortunately, there are a, re- a variety of reasons for that. Um, but certainly sort of within our kind of wheelhouse, as it were, um, it's something we've been very aware of. We've had ind- individuals who've reported it to us and we've had, you know, we've seen the statistics. So what is it, uh, how, how can the council reach those individuals who have been the victims of racism or hate crimes? Um, and, I, and I mean, I don't mean just within the Chinese community, I mean across kind of all protected characteristics. What's the council doing to protect individuals at this very kind of difficult time? So unfortunately, just like you've said, this is something conflict begets um, increases in, in racism and anti-foreign sentiment. And we see that throughout periods, like as we've spoken before about the comparison between war and, and, and COVID. And obviously it doesn't help when... You have the former US president referring to the pandemic in the way he did. So it, it gives people an outlet and, a, and a, almost a legitimacy of, of, of acting and speaking in ways that they wouldn't necessarily have prior to the, to the pandemic. The council is, the council's responsibilities are very interesting because they, they obviously sit alongside national government and the police mm-hmm. and things like that. So I'm not sure what the council's response necessarily would be i don't i don't mean to put you on the spot i'm not not expecting you to solve uh, i was just sort of (laughs) interested i I guess i was just interested from the perspective of a councillor whose your residents are going to be from a variety of different backgrounds and yeah lots of different heritages and i guess i was just sort of interested to get a perspective on you know what you've seen and what what could be done um i mean certainly sort of when we've spoken to whether it's sort of community groups or individuals or council uh police uh and upwards, you know, MPs, assembly members, you know, there's a real kind of a, a general kind of opinion is is about that kind of that engagement, having that kind of grassroots engagement where communities and individuals feel that they're being listened to and their voice is being heard. And it's something that we've been trying to, to do by bringing together, you know, vulnerable individuals from these communities and, uh, you know, with kind of policymakers and things like that. Right. I think that's something which is, is very important. 
and it's beneficial, but you know, it goes both ways. I, I just wonder whether is that is that something that the council uh, does? I, I mean, from the sounds of it, it's certainly something that you've been doing with your own the various bits and pieces that you've been involved with, uh, as far as kind of supporting individuals within your own area. I'm just wondering whether is is that something that's kind of on the horizon for the council? I, Without putting you on the spot I, again, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not comment on that because I'm not sure. I'm sure there are things that the council are working on. The council is a very well oiled machine with with so many different um, areas that I, I can't unfortunately claim to be very well versed in everything that they do but but that's definitely something that they are doing and I, I'd say from from a grassroots perspective it, it's about cross-communal work so what, what's been great to see over this um, over the pandemic is is different uh, communities working together whether it's a synagogue opening up a food bank and and you know not having non-jewish neighbors coming in to, to help with that and, and vice versa with churches and and other communal groups getting together regardless of ethnicity or race or anything like that and and working together to try and help help others that that's something that's really important and something we're seeing more and more and i I think that's the best way of combating everything you've discussed in terms of of increased racism i i completely agree i think certainly within a taking policy and legislation out of it i think certainly within a kind of community i i I do agree having those breaking down those barriers and kind of but it's great where you have organized you know you have communities and organizations kind of opening their doors you know that's that's really lovely to hear i believe in multiculturalism i believe in diversity you know i think it kind of it enriches us i think we have it being challenged I, I think makes us better you know i i think uh that you know when we're getting another side of things and other perspectives on something you know i, I think it helps us to grow uh, and i think that's very important i'm thinking when in the political sphere and one of the things i remember sort of talking to uh, my my boss who was an mp at the time about was the the issues you get when you have sort of effectively single parties uh, in control of an area and you know, fortunately in the UK, we, you know, we're not a single party state, but, you know, you do get kind of uh, council areas or things like that, where the majority, uh, the party is quite large. And often what you tend to get is a bit of a regression, a bit of kind of, you know, the ideas start to stagnate a bit and actually not being challenged is problematic. You know, it stops us moving forward. And I think sort of in a broader way, it, it is always good to have diversity. It's always good to get diff- different ideas and different opinions because I think it enriches us. You know, it goes back to something you said earlier that sometimes that makes, that can scare people having something that's different, but actually by engaging, by opening doors, by uh, having those conversations and realizing actually people, they might have a different God or they might have a different race or partner or gender or sexuality or whatever actually realizing they are exactly the same as us um yep i I totally agree with that when when i was in university i did a year-long internship with an organization called the three faiths forum uh they're now called the faith and belief forum um and that really opened my eyes to everything you've just said which is the how vital it is to have that engagement between Mm. different different groups no that's completely true just to kind of bring it back to something very much kind of within kind of the uh, original plan of, of this podcast. So uh, well-being and mental health. Uh, mm. Now, the last year has been difficult for everybody. Uh, you know, I, I think every I don't think anyone would not agree with that. But um, is there anything that, you know, do you have any top tips, any ideas? Um, what, what have you done over the last year to kind of keep yourself up, keep yourself sort of uh, going, as it were, if you don't mind me asking? Um, in one respect, it's been a very challenging 12 months. Uh, I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old at home with me, uh, and my wife. Um, the, the challenges come from the children more than the wife. Um, and <laughs> I can personally, personally, having both a wife and a child, I, I will not comment further on that. Um, it's, it's very interesting. So on the one hand, there've been challenges, but on the other hand, it's been 
hugely rewarding. Uh, there, was, there was a really interesting article over the weekend um, in the Financial Times that Simon Cooper wrote about how he quoted this um, Office of National Statistics report that commuters generally have lower life satisfaction, lower happiness, higher anxiety than non-commuters. Um, and you, as, you as a be, former commuter, I could probably so, say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. He, he also found something very interesting, which is that the Global Happiness Survey um, only decreased 1% in the last year, and which is actually in line with the trends over the last 20 years or so, which is worrying in its own right, but we can come back to that. Essentially, I, I used to leave the house at about half seven in the morning, see my kids for about 15 minutes before that, and I'd get home. If I didn't have a council meeting that evening, I'd be getting home about half seven, eight o'clock. And if I did, I'd be rushing from work. I, I'm, I'm based in, in Hendon, in Barnet, and I uh, my office is on the Isle of Dogs. So Nick oh, wow. Oh, gosh. So it was a significant commute. And by the time I got home, regardless of whether or not I had a council meeting, uh, the kids were asleep. Um, if I if I had a council meeting, um, I'd be rushing from work to, to the town hall and then getting home, let's say, 9, 10 o'clock. Um, so my life has changed exponentially. You know, I'm now spending so much time with the kids, which has been incredible. I've basically switched out about two and a half hours of commuting time mm. to time with the kids and I you know I even changed my working hours whilst the kids were around while schools were closed etc to uh, to be able to help them whether it was childcare or homeschooling yeah. or whatever it is which which is has been has been exhausting in terms of the day you know the day that there's, there's zero downtime but, <laughs> yes but it's been so rewarding it's been it's been like absolutely literally life-changing for me I will never go back to that you know you you asked earlier what's the what does the post-covid future hold in terms of uh, office space and work and 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 um, companies and i can't see myself ever going back to um to to working from the office more than one or two days a week my my i work for a large organization we have uh, fourteen thousand employees more or less we've closed numerous uh, sites around the world my office in on the Isle of Dogs, we gave up the lease on two of the four floors there. Um, the post-COVID commute is 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 a thing of the past in terms of you know five times a day, sorry, mm, five yeah. times a week commute. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I actually feel like my life has slowed down a lot, although it's been quite intense. Um, there's no rush to get the bus to get to the train to then get on the DLR and back again in the afternoon. And I think I'm actually more relaxed over the past year and that's alongside you know having the kids at home etc than I was when I was you know rushing to and from meetings and things like that um pers personally I'm loving it I I I, it, I find it difficult to say that because so many people are struggling yeah. so much over have struggled over the last year um and and um, I guess I'm one of those fortunate ones that that hasn't uh, you know I've still got my I've kept my job throughout the pandemic and like I said, I've switched commuting time to family time and, it, and it's been a complete game changer for me. I'm, I'm, you know, when, they, when the kids were home, I was eating three meals a day with them, which I've, I'd never done before. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have any tips of, of staying um, strong mentally because I've, I've, actually, I've actually had a really, I, I, I think, you know, switching out that time. And, and that's something, you know, the, the global happiness survey that I mentioned earlier goes back to the bigger question of what makes someone happy. And clearly based on the, decrease of only one percent it's that the it's the private spheres it's the physical well-being yeah. more than you know we're pining for the theaters and the pubs and the clubs and and the restaurants to reopen 
even the barbers. Um, but <laughs> but actually, the data is showing us that those aren't the things that make us truly happy. I, I mean, I I have to say my my experience has been almost identical to yours, and I completely agree with you. Uh, I think that, and I'm I'm also very aware that. I have, and I think we both have, uh, you know, been very privileged yeah. in, in feeling it that way. And there have been so many people, far too many people who've had a very tough time. You know, tough is probably too light a word. It's been a horrendous time, you know, but I, but I do completely agree with you, you know, going from, I should say, I, I live in, I live in Sussex. So commuting to London um, via train, even when it's fairly direct is, uh, you know, it's quite a lot of time. And when you've got, you know, I've always been, um, and it sounds again very similar to your, yourself. You know, I'm a very, um, you know, very kind of hands-on, passionate father. And you know, going from the first year of my daughter's life, when I would see her weekends, and then sort of probably, well, I probably wouldn't, I might see her during the night when she woke up. Other than that, <laughs> to sort of, you know, She's not to, not when you want to be seeing her, yeah, to seeing her sort of, you know, all the time. And it, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And you know, paternity rights in this country are better than many of the European countries, certainly better than America, uh, but they could be better, you know, and that's not sort of, that's not a reflection on on governments or anything like that. That's just sort of a kind of cultural change that needs to come about because, you know, in my own experience, sort of two weeks is just not enough time, um, particularly because, you know, th- there is still that sort of perception amongst certain people that, oh, when you're kind of on paternity leave or maternity leave, oh, it's like a holiday. No, it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. As you said, you know, children do not come with any downtime. It's very difficult to sort of rest when a child is leaping onto your face or other kind of fragile parts of your body, uh, you know. Yeah. But I, I, I've loved, absolutely loved spending so much time with my daughter and I feel very blessed and fortunate. And I am aware of that privilege. You know, and it has been fantastic. And I, I completely agree. I hope one of the positives to come out of this is that people reflect on, uh, you know, what it, what it is to work and having a two hour commute on either end of your work. Is that the best way of doing things? Right. You know, is that time that you could use to be doing other things, even your job? You know, could you extend your working hours? Um, you know, I know some people obviously work um, pressed hours. So they're working yep. five days is four, you know, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So there are other ways of doing things. But then there also has to be a question of the impact that that has on businesses which are reliant on computers. Commuters. I mean, if we think it's you know London-based, sure. that's tend, sure. going to tend to be retail or hospitality. Yeah. Uh, you know things like press, though obviously other mm-hmm. places are available. You know, I presume press is still around. I, I don't know. I haven't it, it been outside in a while. I saw that. I guess it was earlier. It must have been almost twelve months ago. But at the beginning of the pandemic, they they came up with this campaign where I think it was like you pay a monthly membership of about 20 pounds this was prep specifically and you get I think it was unlimited coffees or, or I can't remember exactly what it was which is a, a great way of you know showing how businesses adapt and, and are forced mm. to adapt to, to the changing environment but exactly what you said you know I want to be commuting in let's say one day a week but I also want all my amenities to still be there you know the Tesco yeah. where I get my sandwich or the prep where I get my coffee etc and we can't have it both ways you know the the world is evolving and just this weekend i saw that the publisher reach so they they publish a couple of uh, newspapers in the uk um they said they announced this week that three quarters of their staff will be working from home permanently um pwc have announced similar already um a lot of tech companies the twitters etc facebook's have have said i'm actually I'm not sure about facebook I'm, I'm pretty sure i saw twitter about six months ago or so saying that their staff if they want to will work from home permanently mm. and yeah, to, to echo what you said, I, I definitely feel very, we are we are in the privileged group of, of people that have 
done okay out of out of this pandemic but yeah i i don't, I don't want to give up my time the time with my family to mm. to commute two and a half three hours a day um and 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 it's what comes along with the commute it's it's the stress it's as i said before it's running for the bus and running you know trying to catch that train and then it's it's that constant stress and yep. you mentioned changing working hours i i you know, my, my company's been incredible so i, I only start working at 11:30 in the morning because i was with my kids in the morning as i said either homeschooling looking after you know childcare but the flip side of that is that it means i'm working every evening from 7 till 10 11 whatever it is and and I've ended up actually probably putting in actually de- definitely putting in significantly more hours yeah. working from home than I than I was in the office yeah. and that there's got to be a pushback against that because companies yeah. are recognizing it I know my firm has recognized it and and they're you know brainstorming to see what can they do to give people their work life balance back yeah. almost that distinction between you know almost the commute in the past was that was that yeah. kind of yeah. buffer zone i completely get where you're coming from it is that kind of and again i, I should qualify by saying very aware of the privilege of being of having this kind of this problem but that having that buffer zone of you know this is my work this is my life and actually when you're working from home in our office you know my wife's working over there somewhere you know bedrooms just literally over there that distinction breaks down and it's far too easy particularly now with you know various kind of tech and things like checking your emails at all hours and things like that and how do we kind of balance that but I mean I suppose for me one of the things that I just kind of want to end on is and we kind of touched on it slightly just a few minutes ago is about the impact on those in so many jobs where they don't have those opportunities they don't have you know teachers I mean and not just in kind of the uh, lower paying end of things so retail for example uh that isn't, and that isn't a reflection on the on how hard they people in retail work. They work incredibly hard, and they worked incredibly hard over the last year. But you've also got jobs like teaching. You know, teachers can't really work from home. I mean, yes, they sort of trialed it over the last year in some ways, having virtual classrooms and things like that. Um, police officers, police officers can't work from home. So how do you find that balance where those roles are continuing uh, in the kind of in the with the kind of new world order? I, I do wonder whether, you know, kind of moving forward, taking that kind of that whole group as a whole, not that it is a whole, but those who can't work from home, you know, I think people in care, people in retail, hospitality deserve a lot more respect than they were getting. Um, I suppose in an ideal world, they would also be getting paid a lot more than they were getting. Um, I think, uh, we, as we say, we both got, we're both parents of, of young children. I think we both have seen an, in a new way the you know that we have a newfound respect for teachers and you know childcare staff i should say um, i used to be and, a teacher so oh really yeah okay. in, a, in a past past life i was a teacher so uh, okay sounds uh, like you've done more research on me than i have on you <laughs> <laughs> oh I, it's fine don't worry <laughs> okay well I, 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 I have a newfound respect for you then I, I, <laughs> primary or secondary uh, well, I mean, I was trained to teach all of it, but um, I was generally teaching upper key stage two, so sort mm. of nine to eleven year olds. So it's right. uh, I have a lot of sympathy for former colleagues um, over that, but also parents because teaching is tough, and when it comes to your own child, it is very t- it's gonna, you know it is tough. And anyone who thinks it's oh it's just doing this or doing that, it's not. It, it is very tough keeping a child on track in their own home. Yeah. You know. Children are almost trained that in the classroom they have to behave a certain way, and that breaking down 
uh, is going to be, I mean, I, I fortunately haven't really had to, you know, my daughter's only two, so you know, no homeschooling for her. But um, other than trying to get on, you know, get her into like Mensa or something like that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm not doing that. But uh, I, my wife won't, won't allow me to do that. But um, yeah, homeschooling, I, I have a lot of respect for the parents and carers who've been doing that because it is mm. tough. The, the boroughs schools have also responded in a really great manner. So uh, all, all schools in Barnet offered remote education to the pupils that weren't attending. And, and they were all open to vulnerable children, children of key workers, critical workers and yeah, it's been. I think it's been really tough for teachers because they've gone, especially whilst schools were open for uh, the children of critical workers, they had to manage a class whilst also offering remote sessions at the mm. same time, sometimes at the same time or one after the other. And they, they've had to work really hard um, to, to try and manage and, and juggle all of those things yeah. and, and dealing with kids. So, so my son literally just went back today for the first time in 10 days because... They went back in in March in early March, and then his class closed because there was a positive case after oh, two days. Oh um, and the last ten days was was a challenge because he'd he'd checked out, you know, his, yeah. he'd mentally switched off from working remotely, working from home, and then going back to it was 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 a real challenge. And yeah. I, I think yeah, the, the teachers have, and you know, we, we had these you know the the days of the the clappings for for the NHS staff, etc. But as you said, it's the police officers, it's the uh, the nurses, the teachers, all of these professions which have really pulled through during during this whole pandemic and supported the country. Yeah, no, no, completely. I mean, and even, you know, it, it's not just the kind of, um, you know, the white collar professions, but, you know, the shop workers, people in, you know, Sainsbury's mm. working God knows how many hours for yep. generally less than a teacher or a police officer or a nurse is going to make. Um, and they deserve, they all deserve respect. I think we all agree that, I, you know, I, I think in the past there's, there has been that kind of not treating people with with respect, and I think we really need to kind of ensure that, as a you know, kind of culturally, that regardless of people where people work or what they choose to do, they're all deserving of respect. Because at the end of the day, you know, we couldn't have got through this without people sacking jobs. Of course, that's of course, recognised. But um, no, I, I think you're completely right. And one thing I just want to end end on is um, your son is uh, four and a half, and I mean, a four and a half year old going through this and kind of going through all the going to school and coming back off and all the bits and pieces. I mean, it's it's it must have been so tough. And there's so many kids out there who've really struggled uh, with that. And I know, kind of in my own life, um, not my daughter, but I, I know of uh, sort of kids through sort of family and friends who've. And I've really struggled with with the idea of going of even going back to school because there is that kind of oh well I've been away and I'm going back and school doesn't necessarily have that kind of it's become very complicated hasn't it really I do uh, hope that parents and carers and teachers and schools can I don't know get get the support they need to ensure that the, the children are you know can can be supported can feel uh, comfortable going back um, because the last year has really kind of thrown a bit of a spanner in the works <laughs> spanner in the yeah. works yeah well uh, I, I kid, young kids especially are resilient yeah. so hopefully they'll they'll bounce back yes I, I, yeah that, that is certainly true kids do tend to be quite resilient uh, I can sort of certainly I've certainly seen my daughter run into a few things and get back, <laughs> get back up afterwards but uh, no perfect uh, so I'm very aware of the uh, the time Alex so I I don't want to sort of uh, trouble you too much longer so I'm just going to say obviously thank you so much for for, for joining me this morning it's been really great to uh, have a chat with you and hear about your well just your fantastic work as a counsellor 
um, and your passion for what you do and also just you know a real kind of insight into the importance of what local authorities do you know they've been holding communities together so that's really great to hear so thank you so much so uh, thank you Alex thank you for (laughs) thank you thanks for having me on and thanks very much for all the work that Meridian does for the community not a problem at all so uh you know we are all we're all in all all in this together to uh mis- misquote a politician from somewhere in the distant past uh, so uh thank you very much so that was uh councillor alex prager for west hendon ward i hope you've enjoyed this rather kind of well we've covered quite a lot today i can't even remember what, everything we've covered but quite a few things um but i do hope you've enjoyed this episode of the word and well-being uh my name is chris hartley thank you very much goodbye